Well, I'd like to dismiss any of our elementary age kids who are still with us in the sanctuary. Uh, one thing we forgot to uh, mention, but it will be taking place um, uh, later in the service, is uh, this is one of the Sundays where we are going to have community prayer. And the reason why we like to mention that is because uh, sometimes, uh, more often than not, there's lots of things to be uh, praying for and things that we might want to share. Uh, but when we uh, hear about it right before we do it, sometimes it's hard to uh, pull that together. But give you an opportunity, maybe there's something that the Lord will lead you to share so we can be praying on your behalf here a little bit later in the service. Just want to point out one thing, that Fran, you're sitting in the wrong spot. I need you over here, but I'll manage for one service. Fran is like the most pleasant face, so if I'm staring here a lot, we know that uh, getting some encouragement from Fran. Want to start by asking a question, okay? And here's the question. There is no one right answer, but there is a right answer, okay? And you can throw it out there, simple. The most famous scripture in the entire Bible, what is it? John 3.16, sometimes people want to throw in Psalm 23, solid, but definitely second to John 3.16. Often you'll see John 3.16 at a sporting event or maybe downtown on Peachtree Street, often accompanied by sometimes a strange guy who might look like this. We'll see that. The next slide. It's coming. That guy, right? right? I know when I see that guy, it's like time to do some business with the Lord, right? Um, well, we're going to come back to uh, what I think we agree is the most famous and important scripture in the entire Bible. We're going to come back to that here in a little bit. Uh, I'm just going to share just a, a, a little brief summary uh, of kind of my faith story, my, my testimony. Uh, I, I've shared bits and pieces of this before, and, and so I'm just going to uh, highlight a couple things. Uh, I was introduced to faith, uh, to Jesus, in my middle school years, uh, when I was a young teenager. Uh, I heard the gospel clearly explained for the very first time while I was in middle school at a camp. Heard the message of Christ, the gospel, uh, for the first time, and then was given an opportunity to like formally respond to that. Uh, and, and, and what I would say is I, I made Jesus the Lord and leader of my life when I was 12, 13 years old. Uh, extremely thankful for the mentors and the people who God brought into my life, youth leaders, mentors, uh, when I was in middle school, high school. One of the things that I'm uh, specifically appreciative of uh, is that they really instilled a, a love for scripture, for studying the scripture, learning how to prioritize that in my life on uh, a, a regular basis. It was Susie Geiskoff who encouraged me to read the book of Philippians every single day for two weeks straight. And that, and that, uh, that book of, of scripture remains uh, the most uh, foundational book of all scripture for me based upon uh, Susie uh, encouraging me to do that. Uh, I remember having uh, an incredible community of friends and a su support system uh, that came with that. And as I grew older and as I looked back a little bit, I also remember and kind of reflect back on it, you know, maybe a little bit of legalism that was kind of uh, mixed in. You know, there is a lot about, uh, you, know, you know, doing the right things, certain types of rules, things, things that you had to do. Uh, I also remember that, 
there wasn't a whole lot of room for questions. Like if, if you weren't quite sure about something, I, I remember Tony in particular one time just going, hey man, we're good, we just believe that stuff. I was like, all right, I guess I just believe that. And I remember just going with the flow with everybody else, but just kind of remember like it just didn't really sit right with me, but I just kind of kept plugging away like everybody else. Well then after high school, I remember my first year of college and, and maybe the first time I'm being exposed to all these different people, uh, different teachers and topics and subjects, and I remember experiencing what I now refer to as kind of as a crisis of faith for the very first time. And I remember having, uh, experiencing this confusion and frustration, and I had doubts and questions, things related to, to what I believe, what people had told me. And then I also, with those feelings of confusion and doubt, I also remember feeling guilty for having those feelings. And I, and I was freshman year of college, uh, a little bit lonely out on my own for the first time and sitting here wrestling with my faith and not sure, you know, if it's, it's really stacking up like I thought it was supposed to be. And I remember being in this place of desperation and then offering this prayer, maybe the most honest prayer that I've ever prayed in my life, where I just kind of bared my soul before the Lord. I remember actually getting on my knees as if symbolically that might even help the process. And I remember just going before the Lord and saying, Lord, if you are real and if you are personal like people have told me that you are, even though I'm not experiencing that right now, I'm going to be open and honest with you about my doubts and about my concerns and about my questions. And I remember ending it like this. Can you handle that? But I remember asking it that way because that was a response of, of what I was feeling. I needed somebody who could handle my questions because they were, at least for me, big and difficult. And I felt if the God of the universe is real, that he could handle a 19-year-old poking holes and asking some questions. And for me, this began a journey of real faith exploration. Questions led to answers. Curiosity fueled more questions, and I found some more answers, and what I ultimately found was a whole lot of mystery. I arrived at a place where my faith became my own, and I discovered that God could more than handle my questions. But not only could he handle the questions, but the questions were encouraged, and that they were like keys that unlocked the truth of God. All I had to do was keep bringing my doubts and my struggles and my concerns before the Lord, in a posture of humility. You see, when we are born into this world, our stories begin, and as the stories of our lives unfold, moment by moment, they become our history. They become our story. The significant moments and the defining events become etched into our memories. We remember the major moments of achievement, and we can recall our difficult moments of rejection, pain, and sorrow. We have imprinted upon our hearts and our minds the powerful encounters with Jesus that have shaped our faith in God and with God. And when we share these experiences with others, it is the telling of our stories, our testimony, which is a reflection of how our faith has shaped our lives. And there is no greater story that can ever be told than our story. Because our stories collectively, they, each of them are intimately woven into the greatest story ever told. The story of God, of which we are all a part of. 
So when we read the stories of Scripture, we read about how God encountered his people. We read in John's Gospel the story of Nicodemus, and we see Nicodemus having a powerful experience with Jesus. This becomes part of his testimony, which we will retell over and over again of how he encountered and how he met Jesus. Nicodemus is no ordinary Jewish man. He is not poor or sick like many of the people we see spending time with Jesus. Quite the contrary is true. Nicodemus was a person of great wealth. He was highly educated, came from uh, the high social standing, and he had extreme upward mobility. Many of the things I think that we are chasing. Nicodemus was a student of the Torah. This is the law of God. He studied the prophets. He was an authority on God and responsible for making sure that his people, the Jews, followed God in the correct ways. He was one of 6,000 Pharisees, religious leaders and teachers. And of these 6,000 Pharisees, he was one of 70 who sat on the Sanhedrin, the equivalent of our Supreme Court. His influence was vast, his power among the Jews was great, and it was continuing to grow. He was a star on the rise. And when the number of those following Jesus grows and begins to take a bite out of the religious establishment's influence, Nicodemus, along with the other 6,000 Pharisees, they began to take notice. Jesus was shifting things, and many of them didn't like it. And so they begin to scheme a way to discredit this young rabbi. They think of ways to trap him with difficult questions. Their learnedness and their arrogance, they believe that they can outmatch him with their own intellect. Their craving for social prestige and their fear of losing uh, power blind their minds and close their hearts to God incarnate living among them. The prophecies that they had spent their entire lives studying so intensely had come true before their very eyes, but they could not see it because they lived in darkness. Their understanding and experiences of God needed to be brought into the light, into the incarnate truth and word of Jesus. But not Nicodemus, well, at least not completely. Something about this young rabbi called Jesus puzzled Nicodemus and ultimately caused him to risk his social status by going to Jesus under the cover of darkness with a spirit of humility to search out answers, to look for and be a detective of truth. Biblical scholar William Barclay, he describes Nicodemus this way, and then we're going to get into the passage. Barclay says this, Nicodemus, a puzzled man, a man with many honors and yet with something lacking in his life. He came to Jesus for a talk so that somehow in the darkness of night, he might find light. So let's dig into this passage together, and I'm going to break it into a couple sections. And so here's the first section. Verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could... Excuse me, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so I want you to, to notice the respect, honor, and humility that Nicodemus shows Jesus by addressing him as rabbi, which means great and revered teacher. And despite Nicodemus being older, wealthier, and more formally educated than Jesus, he knows that he is in the presence of a master teacher. And with humility, he assumes the role of a subordinate pupil. And even in his accomplished life, Nicodemus continues to be humble and to be teachable. Jesus knows that this Pharisee is not like the others. He has come with an open mind, a searching heart, and Jesus responds to him accordingly. Nicodemus wants truth, so Jesus prefaces his response to his pupil with, I tell you the truth. And then we see Nicodemus's first question. How can a man be born when he is old? Verse uh, 4, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus answered, again, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so now Nicodemus is probably even more confused. The questions are beginning to pile up in his mind as he tries to understand this rabbi's teaching. But his search remains. He continues to be humble. And so he prompts Jesus to explain himself. And so Jesus continues. The second question Nicodemus asks simply is this, how can this be? Jesus says this, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Can you see the irony? It's as if Jesus is like amused, and he throws up his hands in kind of mock disbelief. Like the irony, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a master teacher, but you don't have the answers. But I have the answers. And here comes the climax of the entire interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. The most famous quotable and known verse in the entire Bible that we all agree is John 3.16. Here it comes. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And then we stop there often, but I'm just going to keep going because it's still good and rich. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This one verse, verse 16, summarizes the gospel message in one sentence, 26 words, at least according to the NIV. If you had to choose one verse of all 30 plus thousand verses, this would be the verse that you would choose to explain everything that you believe if you only had 26 words, John 3, 16. And did you know that arguably the most important and famous passage of the entire Bible comes as a response to a pocket full of questions? 
from the most unlikely source, Nicodemus, searching with a lot to lose. Well, what can we learn from Nicodemus? A couple brief and easy things. Well, not necessarily easy, but definitely brief. We can all learn from this man's life. We can learn that even though Nicodemus was highly educated, he continued to humbly search for truth, which led him to Jesus. We can learn that even though he had great wealth and power to protect, his heart and his mind remained open to the possibility of God and a new way of living. And we learn that even though Nicodemus was on the very top of the social ladder of prestige and held honor among his peers, his character remained strong and was marked by humility. And so I want to close by connecting the beginning of this passage to the very end. Can you remember what time of day it was when Nicodemus visited Jesus? Anyone? It was dark. It was nighttime. Scripture tells us it was dark, and Jesus came, and he came to Jesus under this cover of darkness. He wasn't sure yet if he wanted any of his contemporaries, his peers, to know about this encounter. And so he went to Jesus to begin with under the cover of darkness. But that would change. And so I want to read the very end of this passage. Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into that light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of the God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to How did this encounter with Jesus the rabbi impact Nicodemus's life? Did he walk away from Jesus sad and disappointed like the rich young ruler, a story we read in scripture? Did Nicodemus now see Jesus as a threat as all the other Pharisees did and now begin to conspire about how to take him down? I don't think so. That's not what scripture tells us later in the gospel story of John. John says, John 7 tells us that Nicodemus gained the courage to use his power and influence when his peers were continuing to ramp up this effort to deplatform and take Jesus off the board. John 7 writes this, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? Nicodemus started in darkness, fearful of Jesus. Now he is advocating on Jesus' behalf because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the ultimate truth. And in John 19, it confirms where Nicodemus' questions have led his life. The religious establishment will temporarily succeed in silencing Jesus, the rabbi, by way of execution. And it is Nicodemus, we see, who is now willing to risk everything in the light because he no longer lives in darkness, but has found Jesus Christ. It says this in chapter 19, Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. 
Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. Can you imagine anything more intimate than being there at the very, very end and where you're saying, I've experienced the truth in the light of this man, and I will risk all, and I will be there at the very end with this person who has transformed my life. It was this humility that led Nicodemus with a pocket full of questions to the rabbi named Jesus, and it was this rabbi that shared with him the truth of life, the truth that God loved him deeply, the truth that Jesus would make great sacrifices as a result of this love, and the truth that answers to his questions could be found by honest searching. And just as this was true for Nicodemus so many years ago, it remains true for all of us today. And as you receive communion here in a little bit, I want to suggest two postures for you to consider taking as you come to the table. The first is this. As you walk down the center aisles, I want you to understand that you walk out of darkness into the light of Christ. The light of Christ is the only power that has the ability to remove the shadows from your lives. And second is this, as you come to the table, bring your questions with you. God can handle your questions. Your questions are the keys that unlock and expose us to the mystery of God. This is the deep end of the swimming pool. This is the crucible where faith formation takes place. Truth comes to us in many shapes and sizes. Sometimes you will recognize it and understand it. Many times you won't. Don't be alarmed by the mysteries of God. Embrace them. Or may, rather should I say, let the mysteries of God embrace you. And as you search for truth, do so like Nicodemus, with respect, with wonder, and with humility. And if you keep this in mind, your life will become a testimony rich with experiences and encounters of God to be shared with others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the stories of Scripture. Specifically, we're grateful for the courage of Nicodemus that continues to speak to us uh, so many years later. Now, Lord, would we be honest uh, in our own reflection of our lives? Would we be willing to bring our doubts and concerns and our questions before you? And Lord, just like I did so many years ago, would we be willing with boldness, but also with humility, to ask you to reveal yourself to us? And then would we, with courage, be willing to walk out of the darkness into the light to discover your truth? We pray all this in Christ's name.